0: Welcome to PwC's Next in Health podcast. I'm Ben Isger, leader of PwC's Health Research Institute. And today I have Sarah Halflett with me, who is the research leader for the Health Research Institute. Welcome, Sarah.
1: Hi, Ben. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, it's great to have you, and I think this is your first time on our podcast, so welcome. We've got a lot to cover today, and you're going to give us a great deep dive into what consumers are thinking relating to the pandemic, how they're using services, and even a bit in terms of what they think about potential vaccines, so a lot of great information to cover. But I thought, Sarah, before we jump into what your findings have been from your consumer research, is Maybe tell us a little bit about how we conduct consumer research, because not all consumer surveys are equal, and there's ways to do it with much more accuracy in terms of useful information that health industry leaders can use. So maybe with that as a background, could you give us some insights into how you set up our consumer research program?
1: Sure thing. And you're right, not all surveys are created equal. And so what we try to do here at HRI is really design our consumer surveys in a way that is really representative of the population. So we design our surveys. We usually are using a sample of about 2,500 U.S. adults that represent a cross-section of the population in terms of insurance type, age, race, gender, income, geographic region. And in this particular case, a survey that we're going to be talking about today political affiliation because we were fielding it during the fall in September right before the election. And so one of the other things that is really important for us to look at in our consumer research and what we include in our survey design is a look at how the health system is interacted with, sentiment around the health system, utilization by consumers representing different health groups. So for about five years now at HRI, we have been looking and following seven consumer health groups that range from the frail elderly and complex chronic consumers to those with mental health conditions. And then we also look at healthy groups, healthy consumers, whether they're part of families that are overall healthy with no health conditions, healthy individuals who are enthusiastic about being healthy, they exercise, they get their annual physicals, and also healthy skeptics, those that try to avoid the system and like to interact minimally and maybe believe that you know, having health insurance isn't necessarily worth the money and that they sort of try to avoid the system as much as they can, but they are overall healthy individuals as well. So that probably gives you a little bit of a picture of what our survey design looks like and the types of findings and data that we're able to work with as we gain insights about how all of these different groups and subgroups are interacting with the health system.
0: Well, that's fascinating. I think that gives our listeners a a bit of a background in terms of what we do in terms of the research. Well, let's just go ahead and jump into it. And I think our first topic we wanted to cover was some of our survey results around consumer demand and some of their wants and needs, especially during the pandemic. So what have we learned so far?
1: Well, we've learned a lot about how people are interacting or not interacting with the system. And I think everyone knows that early on and even to an extent now, consumers have delayed care, whether that is an annual physical, whether that's a lab test or screening, or maybe an ongoing uh, you know, follow-up care, routine care for a chronic condition. I think we have insights that we can share from our surveys that get into the details of what that actually looks like in terms of who's delaying care? How much of their care are they delaying? And have they rescheduled that care? And so what we looked at in our consumer survey, and we've been kind of looking at this multiple times through multiple surveys throughout the year since April, is what percent of the consumers in the U.S. have delayed at least some care since March 1st, so early on in the pandemic. And as I mentioned, the the survey that we're talking about today was run in mid-September. So we've kind of looked across from March 1st all the way to mid-September in terms of what's happening around utilization of care. And what we found is that 33% of adult consumers in America have delayed at least some care since March 1st. I think what's really notable as we start to look deeper at this data is that 55% of those with complex chronic disease, so maybe that's COPD, congestive heart failure, or some other very complex chronic disease, 55% of those individuals responding to our survey said that they had delayed care or that their doctor had delayed their care since March 1st. On average, they said they had delayed about half of the care that they had scheduled. It was sort of a mix, but primarily they deferred most often routine visits to manage their chronic condition as well as labs and screenings um, like imaging studies, for example. 29% of these individuals with complex chronic disease said that they had delayed their care but not yet received it as of mid-September. So that's a pretty significant significant percentage of individuals who are sick who have a condition or multiple conditions that they're managing or trying to manage during the pandemic, and they have delayed care that they have not yet received. And so if you think about the longer-term impacts of that delaying care, we're looking at these folks when they do come back into the system for their care. If they do, they may be coming into the system with higher acuity. So we might see them entering the system sicker than they were even before because they had delayed care and waited to get necessary care that they probably should have been getting you know, months ago. So we definitely are seeing that playing out in terms of what some health systems have reported around seeing higher acuity patients among non-COVID cases. So doctors are having to deal with that. We're seeing insurance companies potentially looking at facing higher claims costs because people are delaying care and potentially their health outcomes could be worsening during the pandemic. If we stay on that point for a minute and think about, so when will folks come back in for care? What we're seeing is that there's still a lot of worry out there among consumers. And this is really sort of across age groups, across races, across consumer health groups. But what we are finding is that a, a significant portion of Americans are still worried about coming back for care. More than half of consumers told us in our survey that they are afraid to come back in to the doctor. They're afraid that they could contract COVID-19, which is still a, a, you know, a pretty significant percentage of people. And if you think about the opportunities for doctors and health systems to encourage folks to come back in for care, necessary care that they shouldn't be delaying. We think about the opportunities that they have to communicate with targeted groups of patients that need care the most. But what we found in our survey is that 37% of consumers said that they are getting information from their physician or from their health system about when it's actually safe to return for care. So only about a third of folks have actually had outreach from their physician or from their health system about coming back in and getting that care rescheduled. So there's a big opportunity for health systems to get ahead of that and try to encourage folks to come back for care.
0: I want to pick up on the comments you made about the worry that people with complex chronic conditions and others are not getting enough care when they're delaying it. And so they may come back in and, and it's going to be more acute or we're going to have more problems than we saw before. The other issue that we hear a lot about, and this has made you know many headlines in the press, is around the mental health crisis in the U.S., much of it being fueled by the pandemic Connected to the pandemic, of course, is the economic recession. And so people are losing jobs. Schools are open and then they're closed and they're open. And so people are stressed because they're dealing with trying to educate their kids while they're at work. So there's a lot going on for the American consumer. So what have we seen from our survey data around the effects in terms of mental health?
1: Sure. I think you summed that up very, very accurately. And I am one of those folks who's actually home with three elementary aged children right now and kind of dealing with some of this virtual schooling. And so certainly what we have found is that, I mean, obviously the system was already strained before the pandemic. And now the pandemic's effect on Americans' mental health is really staggering. What we have found is that a third of U.S. consumers that we surveyed said that they had experienced anxiety or depression directly as a result of the pandemic. If we look at that among subgroups, we saw the rates of depression and anxiety highest by race among Latinx respondents to our survey with 44% of Latinx consumers saying that they have experienced anxiety or depression as a result of COVID-19. If we kind of look at that across other demographic groups, females we found to be suffering more so than males. We have found younger age groups. So those particularly 18 to 24 years old old, reporting more anxiety and depression, or or more frequently citing anxiety and depression than those that are in older age groups. We're finding that obviously income is a factor here as well as it relates to mental health with those with lower incomes experiencing more anxiety and depression than those with higher incomes, also those with Medicaid for their insurance, suffering at higher rates than those with other types of insurance, and then certainly families. So those that actually have dependents living with them under the age of eight. 18, report much higher levels of anxiety and depression than those households that do not have children. So, if we look at this and think about how that actually translates into potential utilization of mental health services in the future, I think we can see that the system is sort of on the brink of having to figure out ways to create even more access to services to manage through this pandemic. Interestingly, we also did some provider executive research. We ran a survey of executives and found that. For 43% of provider executives said that their organizations are offering telehealth for mental health services right now. And then looking ahead to next year, 58% said that they would be offering telehealth for psychiatry and other mental health services.
0: Well, I think that's a great segue. Sarah, you mentioned telehealth services as a way to meet the needs for people with mental health needs. And I think that really brings us to another interesting point, which is what's happening with virtual care and actually what do consumers think about it and what rate are they using virtual care? So what could you tell us about that?
1: Well, it's really interesting, Ben. We started surveying consumers, as I mentioned, back in April, very early in the pandemic around virtual health utilization. And it was pretty striking what we found in terms of the number of new users of telehealth. So those that had never used telehealth before and for the first time did so during the pandemic. Just in March and April alone, we were able to estimate that about 16 million Americans were new to telehealth. So just over that short time frame, And if we think about how that actually breaks down, you think prior to the pandemic, we saw usage higher among younger age groups, for example, healthier populations. What we found during the pandemic is that now we're seeing everyone using it kind of across all groups. I think what was most interesting to me is that before the pandemic, Medicare consumers, for example, it might've been about one or 2% were using telehealth. And early in the pandemic, one-fifth of consumers that were using telehealth that were new to telehealth in that March and April timeframe were Medicare consumers. So you're seeing the shift in the mix of who is actually using it. And what we're finding and what we found in our survey is that most, an overwhelming majority, 85 to 90% of consumers would use telehealth again. So they had a good experience and, and they're willing to use that as an alternative to in-person care. So as we think about telehealth moving forward, it's certainly not all roses. There are a lot of things things that have to be worked out within the system to be able to make sure that the experience that a patient is getting is similar to or equal to what they would be getting in person. We also need to make sure that there are no technical difficulties and also that uh, there's not an uneven experience or an experience that is creating inequities. So I think what we are seeing health systems needing to focus on going into really right now and post pandemic is. What are those things that are going to make virtual care stick? because I think overwhelmingly folks think that it is a a great alternative to in-person care when it makes sense, but there are some kinks that need to be worked out. So for example, when we think about what providers are actually using telehealth for right now, only 17% of provider leaders that we surveyed said that their organization was using telehealth for ongoing care management. And so that actually may indicate a missed opportunity to help consumers that feel that they are struggling to manage their chronic conditions. And what we found in our survey is that 11% of consumers feel that their chronic condition is out of control and needs to be managed better. So, big opportunity there to figure out how to interject virtual care for ongoing care management of those with chronic diseases. We also found that there were some some hiccups uh, with telehealth during the pandemic so far, and not everything went as planned. 53% of consumers that we surveyed said that they had encountered at least one issue during the visit. And the most frequently cited issue was technical difficulties. 26% of consumers said that they encountered technical difficulties as they were during their virtual visit with their physician. What we thought was pretty striking was that minorities were more likely to have experienced a problem during their visit than white consumers. And when we think about particular difficulties that they were having, we saw that many of them were not clear on steps for follow-up care and where to go next. And also, many of them were uncomfortable being on video compared to to non-minorities.
0: Well, I think that brings us to our final topic of today and a very, very important one. We've all seen a lot of very promising news lately about vaccine development. It's something we've talked about on this podcast over the last month or so. So with that in mind, we know that development of vaccines is not the same thing as actual vaccinations. And to get from point A, developing a vaccine, to point B, vaccinating a population, there's a very important piece. In the middle, which is the consumer and their wants and needs and potential hesitancies around vaccines. So with that in mind, Sarah, could you tell us what we found from our consumer survey regarding vaccines?
1: Yes. And, you know, I think that last mile, if you will, is so important for the health system to understand once a vaccine becomes available in terms of when folks will actually want to get the vaccine, when it becomes available to them, as well as where they would like to get that vaccine and their preferences for where to get it. I think we found some really interesting things in our survey. So we saw that 25% of consumers overall said that when the vaccine becomes available, they will get it as soon as possible, as soon as it's available to them. Another 23% said that they would get it within six months of approval. And another 14% said that they would get it within one year of approval. This was pretty consistent across different groups of folks. Although I will say that we found among Latinx consumers, they were most likely to say that they would get the vaccine within six months, so sooner than other groups. Consumers with health conditions also said that they would get the vaccine sooner than those healthy individuals who are not managing a chronic condition. And then we also saw that from an age perspective, the age group 45 to 54 is tending, at least from our survey, is showing that they're tending to be watching a little bit more than other age groups, maybe more of a wait and see. But still, if you look at to those that are interested in, and say they will get the vaccine within a year of approval, it's a pretty significant percentage. If we shift to talking about where, where, where do consumers want to get the vaccine, I think we had some pretty striking, interesting findings. And I think some of this has actually been perpetuated by the pandemic, Because folks have been not only new to telehealth, but new to alternative care sites beyond the traditional doctor's office. So, retail clinics, urgent care clinics, freestanding emergency rooms, and other sites of care outside of the traditional way to receive care. So, what we found is that overall, 32% of consumers said that they would be interested and their top choice for actually getting the vaccine would be at a retail clinic or an urgent care center. So, a third of the population saying, We would like to get it somewhere other than the doctor's office. If you look at that and break it down by race, 52% of white consumers that we surveyed said that they would actually prefer to get the vaccine at the doctor's office, while minorities, 27% said that they would go to the doctor's office. They were twice as likely to say that they would seek an alternative to the doctor's office to actually get the vaccine. So I think it's very important as the vaccine becomes available for the health system to understand these different consumer preferences because they do vary in terms of where to actually distribute the vaccine.
0: Well, this has been incredibly helpful, Sarah, and thank you for joining us. I think just to recap, you walked us through how we actually conduct the consumer surveys and the segments we use, some of the issues around demand and the delaying of care during the pandemic, what it's meant for mental health conditions during the pandemic, some of the responses we've seen from the health system in terms of virtual care and how consumers are using virtual care. And of course, what you just finished up with vaccines and where people would like to get those vaccines and their interest in getting them as quickly as possible or with some delay. So all of those really important issues for the health industry to understand and for consumers to think about as well. So with that, we're going to wrap up another episode of Next in Health. For more information on a lot of the data that we spoke about, you can find that on our website at pwc.com forward slash HRI. And this has been Next in Health.